Good morning again, everyone. Uh, Pastor is down south helping the kids pack up, I believe. I don't know a lot of the details about that, but uh, she asked if we would share a little bit today. So I thought I would share a little bit about what uh, he's been, God's been showing me. And uh, this obviously won't apply to everyone, but uh, this is what uh, he's been showing me in my life over the last, I don't know, probably year or plus. But uh, uh, start out with a little history of, of my childhood, I guess, uh, when I was probably younger than my boys back there. 12, 14 years old, I wanted one thing. I wanted to join the Marine Corps. Jerry wanted to be a Marine. Now it's like four years later, yep, that's over with. Now what? Four years, done. And uh, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't I didn't have any direction. Uh, that was the only thing I had planned for. And, uh, you know, now it's like, now what? But uh, fast forward 30 years, here I am, and I figured out what that one thing is. Uh, the most important thing that we have is the will of God, whether it be in our lives or in everything we do. There's nothing more important than what God wants to do, whether it be a job. I mean, I, I'm saying this vague. This is what he's been telling me. You know, king Solomon and his vast knowledge of everything, the richest, most powerful king in, the, in history, came to, came to the knowledge of there's one thing that matters, and that's to do the will of God and the will of God be done. He had unlimited resources and unli- had everything at his fingertips. But King Solomon knew that that was all. He counted that all worthless toward, compared to the, the will of God in his life. So that's what he's been showing me. And uh, then one day I decided to pray that prayer. Father God, nothing but the will of my life. Will your will over my life and my family's life. And once you pray that and you're serious about it, you better get ready for a battle because he's going to start changing things. And he has. And it's been... It's been a good year. I'll say that I've been uh, I've grown and I've changed. But uh he will uh he will fix things and he will show you what you need to do. Uh in uh, 1 Kings, we won't go there. Uh I've got a lot of verses and I'm not sure how long this is going to take, but you know, in 1 Kings 19, Elijah, uh, a great man of God, had he was pretty much uh, he went against everything uh, King Ahab done. He had Jezebel coming after him with, with the full force of all of her armies, and he was going to die. And when he was running, he was hiding in a cave, and God shows up. I mean, he's got the armies after him, and God shows up, and God says, what are you doing? He knows what he's doing. He's hiding from a complete army. But God knows it doesn't matter because that's not that doesn't make any difference. It's rubbish. He's got to go anoint the king in another country. And when when God shows up and it's his will, that's what happens. And today, you know, today's news, you, you read the news with the, the wars in Israel. I, I spent a lot of time, and uh, shame on me, I spent too much time worrying about what where the world was going, what the world was going to look like for my family and my kids, my grandkids. And then I realized, you know, uh, you can't believe anything that's on the news. You have to believe the truth of what God says. And when you turn to Matthew, you should go ahead and turn to Matthew four fourteen if you'd like. Uh, it'll take me longer to get there. I will go there. You got time?
All right, Matthew 4.14. This is kind of, if you, if you read the newspaper or look at a newspaper or anything on the Internet, this, this pretty much rings true today. But uh, it, it has been like that for, well, since Jesus came the first time and said uh, we are in the end times. Well, fast forward 2,000 plus years and we're that much closer. So I'm sorry, you guys, uh, Matthew 24.4.14. I went to the wrong chapter. And Jesus answered them when they, when his disciples were asking, when, when will the end times be and when will your kingdom be returned? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed. See that you are not alarmed. For this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in the various places. And these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Then they will deliver, up, deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many with false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness it will be increased, but the love of many will grow cold. But the lo- love of one endures, but the one who endures till the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the entire world as testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. When I was focused so much on what was going around, and I read this, and just uh, you think, well, the the rapture could come today, right now, right now we're all gone. And I, I was thinking about that. Hey, that'd be great. We'd all be in heaven. But then um, a heaviness came over my heart. Well, what about all the people we haven't saved that aren't saved that are going to hell that we know? And uh, it was just—it was a very sad day. But we—we we have time. We're not done yet. And I know that that's the direction this church is going. Um, there's a couple prophecies that I came across. These were given by Pastor Roberta. She handed these out in the church. I'm going to just brief. I'm not going to read all of them. Uh, Kenneth Hagen Sr., this was a prophecy about communism and destruction coming across uh, basically everything that is happening right now in the United States with the politicians and uh, just the lawlessness and destruction. They're trying to destruction of trial, trying to take over the United States with communism. But in the end, he said it's not yet. I think I've got it highlighted. And this is what happened to the tongues of fire. Towards after this prophecy, the Lord was telling him, this is what is going to happen after everything that we've been going through. When I first saw it, their whole head was fire, but it was tongue of fire, tongue of fire leaping. I said, what meaneth this? And he said, before the worst shall come and the day of darkness shall come, there shall go those who shall carry the fullness of my truth and the fire, not only to the state's, of this nation, but to many other places. For there is work that must be done first spiritually before the Lord shall come. And then a few years later, it would be his son, Kenneth Hagin, did the same thing. I'm going to read some highlights on this. So we have the beginning. I'd encourage, I'll get you everyone a copy if you don't have one. And it kind of puts everything together. But his son uh, prophesied this in 1974. 
that no, the time of the end is not yet. No, America is not doomed. And let your heart not be fearful, nor let it be afraid. For there shall, and on the scene, he has already arisen, for one who shall respond unto the things of God, and whose heart will be open towards God and your nation. That seemed to be cut down to the roots, and the wild birds of the air and the fowls of the air came and roosted in her branches, and did much disrepute unto the nation, yet that shall all be repaired. Because this man shall, I will, this man shall say, I will walk in the way of God, I will trust also in him, and shall be in the head of many, shall follow him. And the work of God shall be consummated, that must be consummated in other nations before I come. I heard him say, because you see, the enemy shall not gainsay the work of the Lord. And like a trumpet sounding across the valley, I heard his voice so strong and clear. And he said, I am not coming for a church body. I'm not. I'm not coming for a church, the body of Christ, that is weak, emancipated, 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 sickly, underground. I am coming from a spiritual giant that's alive and living and working the works of God. So be not fearful. And two things shortly he made manifest unto the real people of God. One is further light and teaching and revelation in this area in realm of healing and physical healing divine healing that will be the key that will unlock the chain that has bound so many and they've never more been the same and then there shall come revelation one of these was in 1963 the first one which gives us a blueprint of where we're at almost and the second one 1974 a little farther past one and now I know, I'm assuming everybody here has read this or heard this one from Daniel at one time. Uh, we can get you a copy of this. This was over this church and how it kind of, it's kind of a one, two, three step process. And this is from Daniel on uh, October 31st of 21. So almost two years ago. It is a new day, says the Lord, for the old is passing and I have come with a new wind of glory. The kingdom shall be present upon this ground, for it has been tried, tested, and weighed. And I have seen it faithful, for there is a flood I have been preparing you for, preparation necessary to properly handle the things to come. For many will come from other cities, astonished at the things they are hearing. Many healed here and many healed there. One raised here and one raised there. The eyes of the blind open and the lame walk. The dead are raised. I have counted you faithful, and you will see the increase, says the Lord. Do not look at the natural. Do not look at the natural. But I hear what I but hear what I am saying. Run forward. Heed instructions. Do not delay. Do not be distracted. It will seem as first nothing will happen, but you will see when least expected that the increase will come, not to one, but many, in ways unexpected. The young and the old, not one left out. For what I bring will not die, but carry on for generations. For I desire a harvest, says the Lord. I am with you. I will not leave you, and you will see my hand moving. That sounds familiar. All right. We will see his hand moving. Be filled with gladness. Be glad you steadfast. That's amazing promises, and I think that's the direction we're going from what I have been hearing and seeing, and obviously from Daniel. In heaven it says a thousand years 
day is a thousand years, a thousand years a day. A thousand years on earth is a day in heaven. So when we think of things, a hundred years, Gage just turned 18, Caleb's 20. Their life is... Anyway, I'm just saying, you got to you, to these young men, it's like 20 years. I'm almost 50, and it, it, in the Bible it tells us it's just a mist. So we can't look at the linear, the timeline of, of any of this has happened. I think we just have to stand on what words we've got and what we have from God. But for for the prophecies to be fulfilled, we there's work to be done. Uh, you know, we can't just be coming to church once every week or, or two or three times a week. There's got to be more to it. With uh, we, then that's what he's been showing me. You, there's you can't just go through the motion, and he's been showing me a lot about um, constantly staying in the presence of the Lord, with constant communion with God, whether it be praying, praising, and worship, or and yielding. I heard yielding so many times in the last two weeks. Yield, yield, yield to the pre- to the the still soft small voice of the Holy Spirit. Which and I keep hearing it, so I'll keep going. I'll keep yielding. Uh, nothing gets done without being in the presence of God or knowing His will, His knowing who He is, and a prayer that is in line with His will. So it's so important to be in constant communion with Him to know His will. And I think that's where we need to be when we are. When, well, we will be there before the this passes. So in um, Acts 21, um, when Paul was traveling to Jerusalem, uh, I think he knew, he knew he wasn't supposed to go there. There was a prophet that came down and said, and put on a, help me out with that, put on a belt and said, uh, to whom this belt belongs, they will be hung in Jerusalem. Paul knew when he went to Jerusalem, he was going to die. And he said, well, let's turn there. Let's turn. Or that. Acts 10 through 14. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Abagus, Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound it, bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus saith the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him unto the hands of the Gentiles. And when he heard this, the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since we would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. The will of the Lord be done. He knew he was going to die, but he was yielded to the to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He knew his mission, and he he even unto death. I I pray we don't have to go through that in this country. We are we are blessed not not yet anyway um, for generations.
And in Mark 8, when Jesus says, you must, if you want to follow me, you must pick up my cross daily and follow me after me. And, and that's exactly what Paul was doing every day, picking up his cross and yielded to the power or the presence of the Holy Spirit. Elijah in First Kings is a very interesting man, a man of God that even running from Jezebel and Ahab, still the things that he did when God fed him with the ravens. I mean, he was in the presence of God to know that he was supposed to go laid by a brook during a flood and the ravens were going to bring him water for food and meat, bread and meat. And then when the water dried, dried up, then he moved him to uh, the widow's house, which obviously took care of him. So the amazing power of just yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit and being in the presence of God and just constant communion with him is... is uh, will get His will done here on earth. I think it's very important. Um, this is he's, he's been showing me. I'm not trying to preach at anybody. I'm trying to <laughs> what He's been showing me. Uh, morning routine, when everybody gets up and brushes their hair, you brush your teeth, you tie your shoes, and you get ready for work. But it's uh, it, there's more than that. You've got to get up. You've got to start your day with God and, and end your day with God. It's so You get up and put on the full armor of God. And stay in His presence as long as you can. The the distractions are numerous, Un, unending distractions in life. Especially the closer you get, and the, and the the more you dig into God, the more distractions are going to come. This morning, this is kind of interesting. I'm in the shower getting ready, and uh, I'm in the shower. Daphne comes up, and she's like, "There's a coon by the pool." I don't like raccoons; they don't live long at my house. But I'm in the shower. I'm like, come on. Anyway, that was a distraction. I didn't. Yeah, it's not there anymore. Richard need to edit that out. All right. So very important every morning and constantly. constantly like he's been showing me just there's so many distractions out there and it's so easy to just kind of forget what you're doing. Listen to stuff. I hear a lot of people complain where I'm at and it sometimes I'm, I'm thinking I just shut up. It, it's. Constantly reminding yourself who we are. Uh, and Smith Wigglesworth is kind of, I, there was, I've been kind of digging into Smith Wigglesworth over the last couple of years. Not heavily, but I kind of thought I was supposed to. And I read some of his stuff and read some of his stuff. And, oh, six or eight months ago, wouldn't you know it, a book of all of his sermons showed up at my mother's house. So now I have that. It's about that thick. So here are some of Smith Wigglesworth's standards. And I think these are... They're going to be tough, but uh, they're doable. I mean, he did them, but this he he walked almost constantly in total communion with the Lord. He would awaken at four o'clock in the morning to have communion and fellowship with the Lord. He never read any book outside the Bible. The Bible was his sole source of knowledge and learning. He never went half an hour without praying, and he constantly prayed in the Holy Spirit. He would get caught up in worship sometimes, both dancing and singing in the Spirit. He read the Word every meal and read and had meditated upon it wherever he had, whenever he had spare time. Through this practice of daily doing all these things over a period of time, he learned to walk in virtually unbroken fellowship with God. This will not happen overnight, but it is possible. So I, I think, I mean, Jesus walked in, obviously Jesus is Jesus, but he walked in 100% communion with his Father. He got away, he took time to pray to know the will of the Father. And he said, I do what I see the Father do, which means he was constantly in communion with his Father. 
And if we're going to see miracles like raising the dead, seeing the deaf here, blind walk, blind, you know what I mean, sorry, deaf here, lame walk. In this church, like the prophecy said from Daniel, we're going to need to be in constant communion with our Father, which is doable. I know there there's so many distractions in this world today that that it it's going to take some discipline and some time, but it's definitely doable. And uh, the power of prayer will be nothing is going to happen unless we pray it out. And so many times in the Bible, you'll see that when when the disciples pray or when Jesus prayed, that's when it happened. It didn't happen because we sit here and just look for God to to throw a fireball down. You know, it has to be prayed in. And then you'll throw a fireball down. But it has to become through us a fervent prayer of a righteous man, a man in the presence of God that knows his will to do the right prayer, and that's when we're going to see the movement. I wrote down the basic definition of a prayer. Prayer, you invite heaven's resources to intervene in your earthly situations. Since heaven's resources are unlimited, you are inviting God into the equation and asking him to fix or do something in your circumstance. If we can grasp that, that's that's getting a hold of the power of prayer. Heaven's resources on earth, in our lives, for God's will to be done. That's why I think, um, well, I know a prayer life is so important just to get away and get by yourself with God is is so important. And also corporate prayer with the church. We've been doing that. That started up. That is awesome. I can encourage everybody to do it. You feel so so filled after you leave here and you just, it's great. Not, not to, that's the only way to do that. Obviously you can do that at home with your spouse, with your friends, with your kids, but it's just so important to get together with believers and pray, pray in the spirit, pray it out. And that's when we're going to, we're going to see revival. We're going to see the things that have happened that have been prophesied over this church. Peter in prison, Peter, you know, Acts 12, Peter was in prison. They're praying. It just says it real quick. There, there is a group of people praying in a house. And then all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appears to Peter and has to smack him, which I love. He was so, he was so calm. Peter's dying. He's going to get killed and he's sleeping peacefully because he knew who he was in God. And then the angel smote him to wake him up. It was beautiful. But, uh, anyway, after that, the angel leads him out of prison and he goes and knocks on the door. And the little girl wrote, hears, hears the voice and goes and knocks and just runs back and tells everybody that's praying. Hey, Peter's at the door. Yeah, right. That's his angel. They didn't even believe that the, what I, which the power of prayer obviously worked, but they were still in unbelief, which I don't understand that. I haven't really wrapped my head around that. But anyway, the power of prayer freed, sent an angel to free Peter from prison. You know, when John Jesus says, if you abide in me, I abide in you. And that's power and power and prayer and power. We will get a lot of things done. Uh, <laughs> A long time ago, I heard this guy say, and this was at Casey's, and things weren't going really well for me. And he's like, there's two things in this world. He's like, there's things you can do something about, and there's things you can't do anything about. And I started thinking about it, and I'm like, okay, good. That sounds great for right now, but no, that's not right. Because if we can't do anything about it, we pray about it. I mean, and that changes the situation. So there's three things, things you can do something about, things you can't do anything about, which there's never anything you can't do anything about, because really you can pray about it. You know, uh, in everyday life and everything that goes on. In Philip 4, well, sorry, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. We know that one. Then turn to uh, 
First John. And this will be my last one. John, first John five. Fourteen and fifteen. And in this, the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the request that we have asked him for. So we need to have confidence that we know that we ask in accordance to his will and that it will be done. He has heard our prayers and they will be accomplished on earth. So in a, I guess that's in a nutshell, um, the power of prayer combined with the communion with God and, and and uh, yielding to the Holy Spirit is kind of a good trio to get us to where we uh, where we're going. So I believe I will uh, let Zach entertain. Play some play some good cop bad cop. Jerry was good. I don't know. Hallelujah, Jesus. I was listening. You know, there's so many things that Jerry said that were so good. And I, and I, my message is a very different direction. And so I was like, God, is there anything that I need to piggyback off of or, or, or share or anything? You know, because that's my mind goes. any Anytime my mind goes 100 different directions. But I will say this is he was sharing in Matthew, Matthew 24. And Jesus is describing the things that are happening in the end time or the end times. But he says at the beginning, before he says that, he says a very important statement to them. He says, take heed. In other words, pay attention. Listen to what I'm about to tell you, that you don't be deceived. Right? And then he goes on to share all these things. Well, what do all of those things have to do with being deceived? Right? And all I can say about that is this, is that when, when those things become the meditation of your heart, and what I mean by that is what you is when you say something is the meditation is what you think on. It's what you mull over in your brain. It's what you talk to yourself about. It's what you you're, you're thinking about day in, day out, day in, day out. And we see even, you know, even with these most recent news uh, things, situations with Israel and all that, it doesn't matter where you get your news from. I know I know there's different news sources, but they all pretty much do the same thing is they take that coverage and they play it over and over and over and over and over and over again all day long. And when that becomes the meditations of our heart, what does that produce? Almost 100% of the time it begins to produce fear. It begins to produce doubt, worry, anxiety, concern, etc., etc., etc. All of those things, listen to me, all of those things are demonic in nature. All of them. God is a God of faith. He is a God of love, peace, joy, so on. The opposite of faith is fear. It says that someone, the Bible says in 1 John that someone who is in fear has not been perfected in the love of God. 
So in other words, if we are in fear, we are outside of his love. We've, we've pushed aside his love. And then he goes on to say that fear has torment. So those, those things and, and meditating on those things of, of like it says in Matthew, wars, rumors of wars, disease, famine, pestilence. When that becomes the meditation of our heart, it produces fear and torment. And those tell, I'm telling you, those things are demonic in nature. That's why Jesus was saying, don't be deceived, because you can get off of track as you as your heart goes after those things. Right. We saw it. We're seeing it now again, even in our, our churches. We saw it very much during covid when covid hit many. Yes, many people turned to God, but many people were consumed with fear. You saw it everywhere you go. So that's very important. Jesus said to take heed that these things are coming. They are part of my plan is what he is essentially saying. And don't be deceived by that. And that's I just have to cut it off there because it's it's uh, it's good stuff. But I had some things I had very much, very much a teaching type message. I've got notes. I've got the Lord kind of alternates in and out. Sometimes I get up here and I've just got a, a, a word in my heart and I have no notes, I have nothing. And I just begin to share what He's put in my heart. But other times it's more of a line upon line. And I won't, I'm not going to get through this. I already know that. And that's okay. But what inspired me to share this is, is I, I, um, I feel like, and I, I don't know, it just kept coming to me. I feel like maybe there were some, some gaps in our understanding. Um, of basically of how to pursue God, that maybe there were people that their heart wanted to pursue him, to, to grow that relationship, to to take that next step. But sometimes we literally don't know how. And, and, and there was some different things that happened. There was a thing that happened. We went to a uh, Norma was there. Uh, I think everybody else that was there was gone. We went to a, a meeting. Uh, the man's name was Bill Weiss. He was sharing about it, a, an experience he had and, and all these things. And anyway, there was a there was a, Q, a Q&A session afterward. And there was a lady. She asked a very simple question. But to me, it, it struck a completely different chord. She was an older lady. I don't know. She was probably in her 40s or 50s. But she asked what to me was a very simple question. But she you could hear it in her heart and in her voice that she was there was a, a longing there. She said, how do I read the Word? Just a simple question. But you would think someone that age, they've probably been in church for a while, so on and so forth. And she said, how do, I, how do I read the Word of God? But it was her heart's cry was, I want to. I, I, I try, but I don't know how. And it's confusing and so on and so forth. And so that, it was that kind of thing. I thought, well, gosh, I mean, I thought everybody knew how to read the Word. But then I, I began to to think on it, meditate on it, and see that maybe they don't. When there, there was a situation that happened at school that brought me back to this trail. I was uh, uh, teaching, or substitute teaching, I think it was a sixth grade classroom, a, a young person, they said, Mr. Hoover, I need some help with this, I don't understand it. It was a word problem, right? You guys all like word problems. You know, Johnny has ten cookies, and he wants to give two cookies to each one of his friends. How many, you know, how many cookies can he give? You know, all that stuff. I like I actually like word problems, but so but this kid was very he said, I don't get it. I don't understand it. So I said, you know, uh, and, and the gist of this word problem was it it result you, you needed to do a long division. OK, you needed to divide. I think it was three hundred something and you needed to divide it by nine. Let's say well, I said, OK, well, uh, let's let's look at it. I said, I want you to read it to me. And he started reading and, and immediately he couldn't read very well. This is sixth grade. 
he couldn't read the word problem. And he was just very, just having to really sound out every word. And it was, it was really sad because when you're reading something like that, you don't understand it. There's no way because you're barely understanding the words that you're, that you're reading, let alone what you, what they mean. Right. So I said, Oh, okay. So I, so we got through it. I read it. So I said, okay, so this is what's happening. So I explained what was happening in the word problem. I said, so, so, you know, we need to do what we need to divide, right? Do you know how to set up that as a division problem? No. Okay. Um, you know, so I, I, I drew out the division problem for him. Have you seen this before? You know, we did 300 something. We put that little, this thing, right? The little right angle bracket, whatever that thing's called. You put that around there and I think it was nine on the outside. Have, have you seen that before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that before. Okay. So you know how to do it. Okay. So let's go through this. I think the first number was like 38. I think, you know, it was 380 something divided by nine. I said, okay, so how many times does nine go into 38? I, I don't know. Okay, well, let's see. All right, so let's go through our multiplication, right? Because before you can divide, you have to know how to multiply, right? Well, these are steps, foundational things. And so I said, I said, okay, so what, what times, you know, what times, what's nine times three? I, I don't know. Okay. Uh, what's 9 times 4? I don't know. Okay, you have your multiplication chart. Like, we're doing everything possible to try and help this poor young man get the answer to solve the problem, right? But there, there were so many gaps in what should be foundational things at the 6th grade level. You should know how to read. You should know how to do basic multiplication and basic division. But I don't know his story. I don't know his background. But I do know it's a very common thing that many of these kids have gaps in their learning, right? And so I begin to take that and apply it to a spiritual level is how many people sitting in our churches are full of gaps in their basic knowledge and basic walk with Christ. And, and he began to just encourage me to, to share some uh, really, really foundational things, right? So let's go to John, the book of John chapter 3. And I won't, we probably won't get too much into this today. I may try to continue this another time. But let's start in John chapter 3. This, this verse is very common. I'm just going to, you know, there's a whole story here. Um, this is Jesus telling us that we must be born again, right? Foundational verse is John 3.16, right? Most of us could probably quote that. You might have it on your bumper sticker outside. You've probably got it stitched on a pillow somewhere in your house. I don't know. You know, but John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we see a few things here. One is that His motivation was love. It, it always has been, it always will be the foundation of the Gospel, the foundation of our relationship with Him is His love for us. John says this again in his letter. First John, he says, we love Him because He first loved us. Our love for the Lord is a response to His love. He desires a relationship and He desires to have that with us and it's from a place of love. And the second thing here is that says, whosoever believes in Him, believes in him now we have i will say this you know let, let's let's get really basic here so the bible maybe some of our younger crowd might not know this the bible was not originally written in english 
I don't know if that's a shocker to you or not, but it, it's been, it's, it's honestly, it's been translated many times over the years. Um, but the New Testament essentially was translated from Greek. Okay. So the, the, all of these English words are translations or interpretations from Greek. That's the shortened version of that. And so the Greek word for believe, I don't remember what it is. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Nobody, nobody cares what it's pronounced. But it, it means it's, very, it's much more strong than what we think of it today. So I, I had this little, in my studies of this, there was an example, and I couldn't think of a better example, so I just stole theirs. And um, the way that, so the first step is the way that we think of believe in our modern society, okay? I need you guys to pretend with me. Obviously, this is a backpack, right? But I need you to pretend with me that this is a parachute, okay? Let's pretend it looks like, you know, it's, trust me, it's, it's, a, it's a parachute. It's packed up like it should be. It's perfect, right? So do you believe that this is a parachute? Yes. We, yes, we do. Okay. Do you believe that this parachute is packed up? It works 100% well. Yes. Do you believe that this parachute, if you were to jump out of a plane, could save your life? Yes. And then we stop there. That's it. That's where our belief stops. That's what, it, that's what our modern word believe means. We, we acknowledge that something is true. We acknowledge, yep, uh-huh, yep. This is what it would look like. <laughs> Some of you are already ahead of me, but the, that Greek word believe has this connotation. It asks all of the same questions. You know, I asked Jerry all those same questions. Jerry, do you believe, you believe, you believe? So you believe, right, that this is a parachute, that it's working, uh, working condition, that it could save your life in the event that you jump out of a plane. Okay, if you believe that, there is a bush plane idling in the field across the street. Take this parachute, put it on, go get in that plane. There's a place for you to go jump. You know, that, that is believe. The Greek word believe there. There's action to it. There's faith that goes with it. It begins to shape your life. It begins to shape your decisions, the things that you do, the places you go, the things you say and do. You know, in the little example there, Jerry believed in his heart that that parachute was what it said it was, and that it would do what it said it would do. And so then it's like, let's take it and go. So when Jesus says that those who believe in me would have everlasting life, it means that we shape and we, we shape our whole life around him. We cling to, to our relationship with the Lord above all else. There is a conversion that takes place, right? When you get born again. Jesus, is, in this passage, is saying you must be born again. So these are foundational things. We look at the people who were converted, who were born again, who, cha- who had, had experience with Jesus. There's so many. But the one that came to, to mind to share real quick is Zacchaeus. You guys remember Zacchaeus was... You guys heard that song? Yeah. No? Oh, we got to change that. Okay. No. So anyway, so Zacchaeus, he was a short, short guy. The Bible says he was a short little guy and he climbed up in a tree because he wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus came to where he was and he said, Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. I'm going to your house today. It's for dinner. 
There's a little there's a little children's church song. I can't believe you guys don't know that, man. I feel like we should just need to stop the service and teach you guys. Zacchaeus was a wee little man song. No, okay. Another time. But in response to this, Zacchaeus, we don't know. They don't really have a long, drawn-out conversation. So quick background. Gosh, I'm not going to get far. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, which means that he was a Jew who went to work for Rome, collecting taxes from his own people. The result of this, his own people hated him. They kicked him out of the synagogue. He probably would have been exiled from his own family. Okay, so his job was to collect taxes from the people. Uh, he got paid well by Rome, and he also stole things from people, right? That's, we, we have evidence of that. So he's not the nicest guy in the world. But he meets Jesus, and we don't know. Something happened in their encounter, right? He encounters Jesus. Jesus says, come down. I'm going to your house. And, and, and something happens to Zacchaeus. He believes on Jesus and he says, right away, he says, I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. And everybody that I've ever stolen from, I'm going to give it back to them four times. What in the world, right? That's conversion. There is change. He encounters Jesus. Something happened in the way that he was walking in life. He does 180 degrees and says, I'm going this way. Right? You notice he didn't come back to work the next day and say, I really, I think I'm going to cut back on my stealing. Um, I think I'm only going to steal from rich people now. I'll let the poor people go. I'm just going to do them fairly. I'm just going to cut. I, I still, I'm just going to steal a little bit, you know? We don't, some of those things that we hear people say sometimes, like, he said, no, change, different. He believed in this man, Jesus, and it created a change in his life. And that's kind of what, what Jerry was talking about is what Jerry was, one of the things he said is, I want the will of God, right? I want to walk after his will. And so that is part of that believing. So how do we grow? If we're, if we're in, that, in that position, of the, uh, there's not, almost not enough time. In that position of, of putting our belief into action, how do we grow? There's so many, so many keys to growth. The number one thing, and I, and I don't mean, as I go through this list, it's not one, two, three, four, five, like going down. Most of it's like one, two, three, four, five. They're really all in the same, same ballpark. The number one thing is His Word. This Word, this Bible, don't get don't get distracted, Zachary. I was going to talk about all the people that have died to put this thing in your lap. So many, so many over the hundreds of years and thousands of years, people that have given their lives to this thing sitting here today. So his word, Jesus said to his own father, your word, Lord, is truth. This word, this Bible, the things in it have to be our standard of truth. That is that's that's step that's step one A, right? Is when you when you're born again and you come after Jesus and you say, Lord, I want I, I believe in you, I trust in you, I I want to follow after you, then this word becomes your standard of truth. Doesn't matter what's going on, what's happening, it becomes your standard of truth. This is where you find your identity. If you don't know what I mean by that, this world, the way you were raised, all kinds of things, they try to shape your identity. 
if things have happened to you as a child, as, a, as, a, as an adult, hurtful things, traumatic things, tries to shape your whole identity and, and your whole life. And there's scientific evidence for that. That if you had a hard childhood, you are more likely to get sick. You're more likely to, in, to die young. You're more likely to end up in prison, so on and so forth, so forth. There's many studies that have been conducted. They all say the same thing. But Jesus came to break that, destroy it completely. Because if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. So let's turn to Psalm 1. 1. <laughs> my, my wife is out of town. I don't have much going on this afternoon. We can go another two hours easy. No, I'm just joking. I won't keep you guys too long. Psalms 1 and 1. Starting in verse 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit. His leaf does not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. And so that's telling me that if we will put this Word of God as a priority, if we take our delight in it, if we hold it as a standard above all else, that we'll be planted by a tree by the water, we'll bring forth fruit, we won't wither, we won't fade, we won't be shaken. We won't be shaken by the things of this world. <laughs> Almost too much to get in here. Help me condense all this, Lord. I will say this, if you're, if you're in that position where you're wondering how, how, what, what do I read, how do I read, there's just a lot here. Most, a lot of us have grown up with this book. Some of us have just, have maybe just seen it within the last few years. This is, there's a lot there. You need to read. As a born-again believer, you need to be in the New Testament. There's a section, if you go to the, <laughs> this is basic stuff, if you go to the beginning of your Bible, there should be a little contents thing. It looks like this right here. I don't know if you can see that or not. But it's a, one says Old Testament, one says New Testament. The New Testament is written to you as a child of, as a follower of Jesus, as a believer in Him. The New Testament is written to you. It is about you. It is who you are. And if you and you need to read it with that in mind. When you see things, when Jesus says love your enemies, that means that you can love your enemies that you have the ability to do that and, and, and you should. Things like That's just a, a quick example. Um, read the Gospels. What I mean by that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That is the story, the, the eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus, right? If we're going to follow this man, Jesus, we need to know who he is, what he said, how he acted, how he treated people, how he responded to things, so on, so on, so on. Stick to the Gospels. I would also recommend... Oh, goodness. This Bible was not written in chapter and verse. What I mean by that is, is when it was originally written, it was all just one big chunk. That book of Matthew was all one big chunk. Uh, hundred, a few hundred years ago, they went in and they divided it up so that it would be easier for you know for me to tell you. Turn to Luke chapter nine verse one. 
Otherwise, how in the world will we know how to get there? So they did their very best to try to go through and find out when one story ends, another one begins, so on and so forth. The, the, the best piece of, or a, an excellent piece of advice is to read this Word of God in, in whole images, whole pictures. And the, the easiest way to do that is to read the whole book, the whole book of Matthew. Start at Matthew chapter 1, read it all the way through, then read it again, then read it again, then read it again. You know, if you don't have the time for that, some of those longer books take time. Find a smaller book. The book of Ephesians is a, is a wonderful one. The, the book of Ephesians is, in my opinion, one of the most complete books in the New Testament for, as a believer. And it takes, it's uh, six chapters. It takes about 20 to 30 minutes to read it all the way through for if you're a pretty good reader, you know, probably less than 30. And so if you're short on time, if you don't have a lot of time to devote to the Word of God, Read the book of Ephesians. Read it. And, and, and this is where we get into meditate, meditating the Word. Now, I'm not talking about... We, we say the word meditation, and our, sometimes our modern mindset goes to this, like, Buddhist guy sitting on the floor with his legs crossed. Going, oh, you know, that's demonic stuff. We're not, that's not what I'm talking about. Meditating, this Word of God, means that you are reading it. You are thinking on it. You are thinking about it. You are applying it to your life. So on and so forth, right? Because this word is life. It's not just a story. It's not just, uh, it's not just words on a page. It is how we are to conduct our life and live our life. So that is the, the basics of meditating the word of God is you, the first step, oh, Jesus, help me. First step is you, you assimilate it. It's a, that's a big fancy word. You assimilate it. It means you expose your heart and your mind to it over and over and over and over again. If you were going to assimilate a culture, right? If you, to, that's how you learn about that culture is you, ideally, you go live there and you experience their culture, how they do things, how they act, how they, how they dress, you know, so on and so forth. You assimilate it. So you assimilate this word. You take the book of Ephesians and you put it in your mind and in your heart. Boom. 20 minutes, 30 minutes tomorrow morning. Boom. And then you do it again tomorrow evening after you get home. Boom. Then you do it Monday morning. Or I'm sorry, Tuesday morning. Tuesday evening. You know what I mean? Like again, 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 until all of a sudden you're reading through it and something jumps out at you, right? You invite the Holy Spirit into this time as you're thinking on it. He begins to show you things over and over again. You 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 add your what what you're doing is remember we talked about believing, right? If you believe this word is true, then you you take your belief and you sync it up with your study time and you say, God, I believe that your word is true. Show me who I am. Show me who you are. Show me what I need to change. So on and so forth and so so forth, right? There's so many good things, even in this the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 says, be imitators of God. That's how it starts off. Imitate Him. How are you going to imitate Him if you don't know what He's like? You guys in here that have children, I see in your children, you. I don't know if you know that or not. You probably see it too. But if, you're, if you hang around both long enough, you'll start to see you know, most of it's good stuff, but you know, let's not go into that. But you, you see in their children, you, your, how you act in life, how you respond to people, how you react to situations, so on and so forth. So we're supposed to be imitators of our father. So we need to see how he acts, what he thinks, what he's like. 
Um, the best thing I can say is, is whole images. Do not take a verse out of context. What that means is you take a verse and you pluck it out and you make it say whatever you want. Do you know God has a brother? In First John, it says that if you love God, you must love your brother or love his brother also. It says if you love God, you must love his brother also. God has a brother. No, he doesn't. That, I took that verse out of context. I plucked it out. It's talking about you loving me, loving Antonio, me, loving Rob, you know, our brother. Right. But if, that's just a silly example. But you can almost make the word of God say whatever you want if you take it out of context. And that's, so that's the importance of whole images. Find out where the image starts, where it ends. Read it over and over and over again. <laughs> one one more last thing is as you're reading, keep yourself focused, keep your mind focused. If you find that your mind has wandered off, even though you're still reading, you're sitting there reading, your face is planted at the book, but you've been thinking about something else for about five minutes. Surely that only ha maybe that just happens to me. Go back to where the last thing that you really remember your heart and your mind being involved in, in that book. If you're if you're reading through the Matthew and you 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 were really into chapter three, let's say, and now you're in chapter five, but you don't even remember really how you got there. <laughs> Go back to chapter three, read it again. It, it it it's it's involving your heart, it's involving your mind in studying this word of God. How often? Daily. That's the goal. Daily. Jerry shared that this morning. Every day, if you can. I would say around. At least at least fifteen to thirty minutes. If you're reading one of those short short books, that's that's what you've got. Especially, I mean, you guys that are going to school, young people. I wish I I'm, I'm starting to sound like an old man now. I wish I would have done this when I was younger. I wish I would have prepared myself better for the world in this thing, in this Word of God, by that personal study, because the school environment nowadays is not good. Even, it doesn't matter where you go, it's not, there's a lot of things there that are ungodly, that are from the devil, right? And are, and you even as young people, you have to be prepared. You have to understand who you are because subtly over time, he likes to try to twist things, okay? Uh, I'm not going to keep us forever, but that's really step, step 1A, is spend time in this Word of God because in it, is everything that pertains to life and godliness. That's what the, that's what the Bible says about itself. <laughs> and to get to know Jesus, to get to know who you are, to get to know how we are to respond. Because I see young people, old people, everywhere in between, they when they speak, they do not speak from this place. There's one more, one more last thing. My nephew was here recently. He was asking me, really, t he's 14 years old. He has a lot of hard questions about life because he's had a very hard life. And so he's asking Ruby and I these questions. He probably won't ever hear this, but he said, How do you, wh what do you do when you, when you have really sad thoughts? That was one of the questions he asked, 14 years old. What do you, what do, you do when you have really sad thoughts? And this was one of several of the questions he had asked. I said, well, first of all, I said, he was almost kind of getting frustrated, but I said, you're not going to get an answer from me that does not involve this Bible and that does not involve how God sees me. I said, because I want, that has been my goal in, in, in life. My mind has been turned over to that. 
Does that make sense? That sounds kind of weird saying it, but it's the truth. Um, you, you, you won't find, you won't get an answer out of me that is not funneled through this Bible and through my relationship with the Lord, right? But that's not so everywhere you go. People don't always say that. They, they begin to speak and the things coming out of their mouth about themselves and about life, even though they believe on Jesus, right? We've got our parachute again. Even though they believe on Jesus, the things in their heart and in their mouth do not line up with His Word. And that is an area that needs to change and it needs to change more in all of us, okay? So that's, that's step 1A. I even left out a few things. Um, maybe we'll get to talk about this another time. If, if you're unsure about anything, you want more information about anything, have more questions, um, I, don't, I don't mind to, to send out some emails or something with some more resources, things like that. So if you genuinely have questions, um, just let me know and we'll, we'll talk some more. But I don't want to keep you guys any longer than I have to. So, Father, I just thank you for your word today. I thank you, Lord, that, that hearts and minds are being changed and touched and I thank you, Lord, that you're putting <clears throat> your, your purpose and your calling, your vision, your goals for each individual person, that you are putting those things even now in their hearts and in their minds to see who they are because of you and who they are in you to do the work of your kingdom. And I just thank you for it, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.